Two generations of professional wrestling fans to look back at a list of matches as collated by a man from an even earlier generation of wrestling fan and a man that certainly has a lot more knowledge on the history and the business and all sorts of other things than either of us do. So who are we to say anything? But it's the era of the podcast and anyone can say whatever they like. And yes, it's a wrestling podcast, even more rare amongst them. It's Let Me Tell You Something. I'm your co-host, Lorcan Mullen, and with me is my co-host... Simon Cross. And oh God, mate, mate, way to really like sell our product there, Lorca. <laughs> uh, you got to be honest with what you got. Uh, <laughs> Take the Ron Seal approach. Yeah, it does exactly what it says on the tin. So, Simon, we're about to embark on another trilogy of matches here. Although it's interesting, I guess it's really a quadrilogy in that there were four of these matches in the history of the. All Japan Pro Wrestling promotion with this specific uh, six-person combination. But three of these four matches all reached five-star ratings from Dave Meltzer, and the other one had a a four-and-a-half-star rating. But we're starting off with the first of the four matches on the 19th of October, 1990, as the two major collections... I don't know if you'd call them factions, but but, uh, groups... Of all Japan pro wrestling squared off against one another as Jumbo's army, led by Jumbo Saruta, aided by his longtime tag partner Masanobu Fushi, and young upstart Akira Tawe, take on the Super Generation Army of Mitsuharu Misawa, Toshiaki Kawada, and Kenta Kabashi. Now we've had a match with Misawa in, and we've had a match with Kawada in, but this is the first match to include the other two four pillars of all Japan pro wrestling of the 90s in Tawe and Kabashi. So, how aware are you of those four people, and what were you expecting going into this match? Just repeat that last line, the sound was very distorted. How aware were you of the four pillars of all Japan, those two in particular are two newbies, Tawe and Kabashi, and what were you anticipating going into this match? It's not a good time. Hang on, we're getting poor network connection. You were garbled. Uh, you're sounding fine on my end. I'm not. Yeah, it was you. You were sounding uh, like you were breaking up. I've got a poor network connection, like warning my side. I've just checked mine. Mine's five bars, and my router is about four meters away from me. Okay. Um, can you just have a quick look at your internet settings? Yeah, mine's fine. I haven't got any warnings, anything like that. You're coming out crystal clear on my end, so it's obviously your end that there's a problem at the moment. Hmm. Okay, and that was weird for a sec. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. It seems fine now. The warning has gone away. I don't know if it was just like a blip in right. Skype. Okay. So, Simon, what was your knowledge of Tawe and Kabashi in particular, the two newbies of this series, uh, and Fushi as well, I suppose? Although he was in an earlier match that we didn't get a chance to cover because we don't have a... As of time of recording, we haven't been able to get our hands on a f- any version of that match whatsoever. So what were you anticipating going into this match? This is our first six-man tag team match that we're getting to cover uh, because of the aforementioned uh, one between Tenru's group and um, Saruta's group that we haven't been able to watch. 
Um, now, I didn't know a lot about Fushi or Taoei, but I heard a lot about Kenzo Kobashi and his influence on Japanese wrestling. Um, towards, I guess I became more aware of him towards the end of his career when he did get a couple of negative uh, comments in Power Slam magazine, mainly from people who wrote in, uh, saying he was like the Japanese Hulk Hogan and his like Hulk hooking up routine uh, was becoming a bit silly towards the end of his career. Mm. Um, so that's that's the kind of the image I had in my head before uh, we started this series of matches, and I'm, I'm glad to say it's something that was um, that this match. I mean, I don't want to jump the gun too much, but this match effectively dispelled the um, preconception I had. Well, maybe that's interesting. That's Kabashi is like the headline main event guy, I suppose, because at this point, he's very much the junior member of the trio of Kawada and Masawa. So the Super Definitely. Generation Army is the equivalent of the young upstarts all deciding that they want to rise up as one and, and claim the top spots from the likes of Jumbo Saruta. And as we previously covered with the Masawa Saruta match, that was the shock victory of the younger Misawa over the veteran Saruta. And they both had their sort of allies behind them. And now this is where this is where the bulk of these sort of matches in Japan are these rivalries in Japan are are battled out. That they will you know, Saruta and Misawa have about forty matches where they're on opposite sides, but only four of those matches were they ever in singles competition. Um and these are like the three leaders of each army, the three top dogs in each army going off against each other because in the um, in in the um, super generation army i know that you had um Tsuyushi kikuchi at this point who was a very much the junior heavyweight member of the group so he would have been like number four and um, misawa's one kawada's two kabashi's three and then when you had the Saruta's army, you have Jumbo Saruta, obviously the top dog, the the, the main guy of all Japan for a few yeah. a number of years at this point, uh, at least native talent. And he had with him Fushi, who's essentially been the top guy of the junior heavyweight division since the mid-80s, mostly because all Japan has never had a very strong junior heavyweight division. He held the belt for like four years. This is in the midst of a four-year reign as junior heavyweight champion. At a time when junior heavyweight wrestling was so great outside of it in New Japan, it was one of their top attractions. But this is more of a result because of the sort of isolationist policy of all Japan. There weren't really many people for Fushi to feud with. He's actually, his biggest run of matches and biggest feud in the junior heavyweight division have been uh, against Masawa as Tiger Mask, but also Atsushi Onita, who would then go on to infamously become the guy who really popularized explosive mega hell death matches, <laughs> like when he made a return after injury from his time in All Japan to form his own. Did um, he end up in um, FMW? In yeah, that was his promotion. Right, that's him. Okay, yeah, I have seen footage of him. There was like an electrified swimming pool death match where yeah. Mike Awesome was involved. I can't remember the other competitors. So it's so funny when you watch Fushi in this match that he's probably the most technically based wrestler out of all of them. He's the one that maybe kind of calms the fight down a little bit because this is a very heated match. It's not just... It's clear that the hatred that there was or the, or the intense rivalry that there was between Misawa and Saruta has at the very least rubbed off on Kawada, Kabashi, Tawei, and Fushi. And to me, it seems like the key battleground in this, as far as intensity goes, may not even be between Misawa and Saruta, 
but between Kawada and his future tag team partner, Tawe. I think the key to that being is that Tawe is of their generation of young wrestlers, but he chose to align himself with the veteran Jumbo. So he essentially turned his back on his fellow new generation guys. He saw the teacher's yeah. pet of the group, as it were. <laughs> um, now, yeah, the one I couldn't quite get my head around, um, sorry, just in the quicker side, is Tawe the one in the red shorts? He's the one in the red trunks, yes. Yes! Nailed it. Sorry, because oh, you just right, repeat that because I was I was sweating that because all my notes could have been fucked on that yeah, one yeah. bit there. Sorry, just repeat that line for me, please. The, the key rivalry was between Tawe and Kawada in that in the um, in the battleground, I suppose. Uh, that was where it seemed to get the most violent because Tawe was essentially uh, of the generation of Misawa Kawada and Kabashi, but he turned his back on them and aligned himself with Jumbo's army. He was kind of the teacher's pet of their generation, you could almost call him. Um, yeah, I mean, it's when those two are in the ring that the action first spills to the outside. Um, for example, they they go beyond just the competitive rivalry. There seems to be, like, you're right, a personal hatred. Um, Kawada does seem affronted that he has to go against some guy who he thinks should share his ideology. Mm, yeah, and, and, and Kawada's ideology really seems to be, I'm going to kick people in the face. <laughs> I... You know, I, I obviously we'd see, we've seen Jumbo before in this series. We've seen Masao before in this series. We have seen Kawada in like little bits. Well, he was like, the he was the he was the weak link of the Tsuru Kawada Hanson Gordy match. Insofar as he was clearly the the one that was most susceptible to get beaten up. We've seen him in most of the second half of the match outside the ring being beaten up by Hanson and Gordy whenever they felt like it. Yeah, so this is like the first real match where we see him not just selling, effectively. Mm. Um, I really like Kawada. I I really enjoy watching him work. Mm. Um, I think, because obviously you know I had a bit of affinity towards Jumbo and his big hits coming from the last few episodes, but Mm. Kawada's really really grew on me throughout the course of this match. He brings an intensity that not even Masao and Jumbo match. Even although when when Masao and Jumbo they're used very sparingly in this match, they are the captains mm. of the team and they're the ones that probably have the least in ring time out on both sides of the team. And they only but that they makes briefly, Jumbo feel more briefly special. Face, yeah, they briefly face off early on in the match, and then when they come face to face, that's kind of when we know we're entering the home straight in the second part, sort of towards the end of the match. Um, but the most of this match, it's really not... Ex- it's interesting because, like I've said, All Japan is a bit more of a traditional American-influenced pro wrestling style. And you can see that in this tag match. When you compare it to, like, um, some some of the other Japanese matches have been like this. But, like, Muto and, and Koshinaka against Takada and Akira, Maeda. This one has more conventional getting heat on an opponent. But it's interesting that yeah. both sides take their turns isolating someone. So it's not like a classic rock and roll express Ricky Morton in peril until Robert Gibson tags in and then it's definitely into the final straight of the match. Instead it's a real seesawing of, of control. So at the start the the uh, Jumbo's army have uh, Kabashi in trouble for a while and then uh, Kawada's in trouble for a while. Um, then uh, Jumbo's, uh, yeah, they, they, they take it in turn, and both teams at some point or another will control someone else. Yeah. 
Um, I Which, think Kawhi's think... in, in trouble for quite a long time in the match as well. Yeah. If you think about it, though, that's how should tag wrestling really should be. It's I know getting heat uh, and having baby faces sell for long periods is a certifiable technique, and I'm not slandering that, but it always seems a bit weird that it seems a heelish tactic to cut off the ring. Do you know what I mean? Do you not get where I'm coming from in that sense? Uh, I, I, I don't know about that necessarily. I think the faces will, very often like Ricky Morton or Robert Gibson will, um, and Gibson and, and Morton will cut off the ring at the start of the match. It's just their heat segment on one opponent will only be two or three minutes and then when the when the heels get the control. So it's like, that's just like good tag team wrestling, essentially. Yeah. That's, and that's, and again, because All Japan have that, although I don't, do they have the split down the middle ring at this point? I can't remember now. Don't remember if they do off the top yeah. of my head. Well, said in the past how good a visual it is. Maybe it wasn't yeah. good if you can't remember it now. Um, but yeah, it's just yeah. It's what's interesting with this though. I think maybe because it's a six man, a six man offers more variance, and also mm. it's harder to control. And so with with these matches, it, it makes sense for there to be more of an ebb and flow. Like you look at the the shield matches, there will very often be like one or two heat segments on a different guy. Yeah. Um, so there'll be the shorter heat segment and then the longer heat segment, or, or back and forth. Uh, and maybe they take these sort of matches as an inspiration for them. Um, but also it's interesting you're saying the heel, because there isn't really a, a heel team insofar as no. where the crowd goes. Both sides will willingly uh, come in and break up pins and taunt their opponents. The fans seem to be more on Jumbo's army side this time, which is interesting, because usually Masao was seen as the top baby face of the promotion but this time at least to me it sounded like they were a bit more they were booing more whenever Misawa's um, lot were being heelish than when Saruta's lot would do anything heelish I guess that's because they're like they are still even though they are the up and comers that in some people's eyes they're going against the guy mm. maybe uh, but you're right there's no one whose name doesn't get chanted at any at a, point, yeah. a point during the match, usually everyone gets the crowd behind, and them. usually when that person's in trouble as well. So it's almost like yeah. their sympathies always lie with whoever's getting the piss beaten out of them. The Japanese just love an underdog, maybe. Mm. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just wrestling always cheers for the underdog. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a it's a tough old match. At one point, Kabashi starts bleeding from the nose. That is a. That that wasn't planned either. You can just tell that was just a legit hit. Yeah, you can't just like no one's no one's like you'd be you have to be a sadist to blade your nose your nostrils or something. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I just love the but it's interesting so much about it's the keys to the breakups of the pins and the psychology of the six man tag. So that like when one especially towards the end when one person has someone in a submission hold, someone will come in and, and stop it. But also very often the other te- the team with with the guy who's got the submission hold knows that's going to happen, so they sort of do a preemptive strike and they come out. Yeah. I mean, but my favorite one of these I think was when um, Kabashi gets a, a half crab on Tawei. Fushi comes in and starts punching him, but uh, Kabashi holds onto the hold, and then Fushi get leaves the ring, and then Jumbo does his sort of running of the ropes. I remember him his doing charge the, the Choshu one where he runs both sides of the ropes. And Kabashi's yeah. like, well, I can see you coming a mile off. Well, so he lets so go of the hole and then just clatters him with a clothesline. Yeah. Uh, he does, I think at one point in this match, he does hit the charge up successfully. Mm. Um, but the second, it's like this is the second time round. It's like, well, we've been here. We know how this goes. Mm. 
So, um, what, are you, what are your thoughts then on Tawai? We've said a bit about Kabashi. What do you think of Tawai out of, out of this? Because I've often wondered if he might be like the Ringo Starr of pro wrestling and that he happened to be around at the time <laughs> that three of the greatest wrestlers of all time were all at the same place in their prime and he just happened to be there and be along for the ride. I don't know. I haven't seen much of his matches. He always seemed like, from what I'd seen, he seemed a little bit more awkward and, and not necessarily as naturally, in, you know, Towards it, but that might just be because of the size of his frame and the rule, you know, the role that he had to play. Um, I'll be honest in in this in this match, he doesn't really stand out as much. Um, when I think back to this match, and I want to look through this notes. I mean, I've got obviously not the moves that he hits, but when I like go into my mind, I can't see anything he does in this match. Like I can see um, Kawada's spin kicks, Kobayashi selling jumbos massive lariats that's interesting and, uh, sorry go on and i was just gonna say and fushi um who just strikes me as a little bit of a shit house he's just he's... got a little bit of shit houseery about him maybe it's because he's the smallest one there that yeah might be to do with it but um it's interesting though like i'll tell you though i disagree because there was one spot that tawai did in this match that i loved and I don't know if you know, again, to give you a bit of background, is another one of those guys that got given a push very quickly by All Japan because he, like Tenru, came from a sumo background. Oh, um, okay. Um, he was, again, like Tenru, not quite at the top tier, but sort of like the top of the second tier. of of. So he's like the Kevin Phillips of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> pro wrestling, of sumo wrestling or something like that. So him being acquired by All Japan was a big, big get for them. And uh, he was his first match was a featured match where he was Giant Baba's tag team partner. And that was only two years ago. He made his debut in 1988, and we're in 1990 now, so he's only three years a pro. Same with Kabashi, actually. But Kabashi came from an entirely non-sporting background, and that's why he actually had to struggle to get in to um into the promotion he was rejected the first time before some say that like literally no one even looked at a photo of him they just sort of looked at his cv and saw no high school sporting achievements so we're not interested just into the bin it went yeah yeah and he essentially had to uh circumvent uh trying to get attention and, and baba finally saw a photo of him and was like okay well he's got a good look he was into bodybuilding at this point and oh, okay. so then he got another chance and maybe because of that he was told that he was actually training too hard in his dojo stuff. And to know about Japanese dojos for wrestling, to be told you're training too hard. I don't think that was possible. Exactly. And unfortunately, that led to his body deteriorating very quickly. Um, But him still pulling out these... But he was like, his knees were fucked by the time he was 24. You know? And then three years and nine years down the road in 33, he's having to have multiple surgeries on them and, and taking years out to try and recover. But anyway, uh, to go back to Tawei quickly, from his sumo culture, I loved when Kawada came in and they started fighting each other again. Tawei did that sumo slaps to the chest. Ah, and they went okay, from yeah. corner to corner. I thought that was a really cool little spot. Yeah, He was sort of like doing a little dance move on his chest. <laughs> he was like playing the bongos. He does get a good rhythm. I, I can, I I can visualise that now. And I, he does get a good rhythm on him. You're right. Mm. Like, Okay, fair enough. It's a great like momentum shifter. He just suddenly sort of surprises him, and then he just hits this barrage of moves. Yeah, because Kawada's throwing some shots beforehand, and then yeah. it's sort of like Kawada's going on the outside, and it's like sort of like a boxer's move. It's like, okay, this guy's hooking. I'm going to uppercut kind of thing. I'll go to the inside. 
with like big chops, like slaps to the chest. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking up this quickly. Um, well, to be fair, I was just looking it up and uh, like because uh, we're gonna do so many Masawa Kawada Tawe Kabashi matches. Uh, Tawe only has one singles match that was given a five star rating, and that's against Masawa. That's one to look forward. to. Oh, okay. Whereas the others do have more. Like Masawa has eight or so. Like he's got, I think he's got like fourteen tag matches, and like uh, eight or te- eight ten singles matches. Same with Kabashi, somewhere around seven, eight, nine, and Kawada's got about five or so. So. The perception it'll be interesting to see as time goes on how our perception of Tawei goes if we some if we become fans of him like we have with Saruta and obviously yeah. we're, we're becoming for Kawada in particular. Yeah, my soft spot for Saruta being um we've already like sort of spoken about it before, just a grumpy old man. Yes, and he does he that just... again very much very well. Yeah, even match. before the match starts when he's wearing it like I think it's the first time I've seen him because his merch is always like quite cool he had, he's had like the jump the jacket with jumbo emblazoned across this mm. he's got a little bit more refined this time he's just got the plain white tee with the jumbo saruta logo and he will play to the crowd more than, than yeah. any of the masawa like he does this sort of arm gesture that the crowd responds to as well um but i, I love especially when the announcer announcer as well uh yeah. you can tell they, they that jumbo's the guy the way i know he says it for all of them in that start but the way he finishes with like jumbo mm. and like jumbo and like the crowd just go really like they really love that yeah um i love that when masao and um saruta get back into the ring for the second time quite uh quite quickly into the match akira Tawi ta- uh, quite early into that encounter Tawi tags himself into the match but masao just hits Tawi, sends saruta outside and he's like, i'm not finished with you and just wants to fight saruta some more He's yeah. really interested in fighting Tawi at that point um, yeah, you're right there, uh, and it does hark, hark back to like the team captainship, mm. like sort of vibe there was in the match. It's interesting looking at Kabashi seems to be the one with the most of, of the widest variety of moves out of the out of their team. Misawa yeah. has his moves that he does well. He's already, I guess, we're maybe starting to recognize the trademark stuff, the elbows, mm. the splashes. You know, he's he's he seems the most naturally agile out of all of them. Yeah, his splash um, is beautiful. Kawada just kicks your face off <laughs> i think that's I, I don't know what it is but he's just got that like bulldog tenacity about yeah. him i just i'm just drawn to kawada i, I don't know what else to say whereas, whereas kabashi just seems to have everything in the arsenal and he's doing all these moves he does um uh he does a great spinning pinfall crab hold thing oh the roll around the ring yeah I'm yeah glad you had a dignified term for it because which, which he then follows up with a top rope moonsault which gets a lot of height but not a lot it's of moonsault. distance right yeah. um it does explain it why of, his knees were ruined yes it reminds so, uh, me of like a, a like kurt angles moonsault that he would do where he'd go quite high but his distance wouldn't actually be that far do you know what i mean yeah whereas yes like, Whereas, like, Kijimuto's moonsault takes a fair distance. He sort of leap launches off of the ropes. But they sort of rotate slower when they go longer. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Angle and the Kabashi, they rotate pretty much straight away. Yeah. Which yeah. you kind of have to if you're going high. You haven't got... Yeah, they're going time. high. Yeah, they're going for, like, high, they're doing the high jump. Whereas, whereas like, Kijimuto, and another one I would use is, like, Lita. They're yeah. sort of doing the long jump, as it were. Yeah, Lolita's covers a lot more ground as well. Um, trying to think. Whereas, like, the big ones oh, I can think of. like It's like with Brock's shooting star press. Um, 
he went for distance too much distance some might say at wrestlemania mm. um over like height whereas evan Bourne, he does height in his shooting star press same principle yeah yeah whereas like billy kidman's shooting star was just reckless and just going wherever it could <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, we get, as we get to the finishing straight, Jumbo get uh, one of the things about Kobashi you can already see is that there's a sense of him being resilient, partly because he's the one that's the weakest link of the team at this point. So he's going to be the one that they target, and yeah. he's going to be the one that you think is most likely to be pinned. So when he gets nailed with a lariat uh, late on in the match, and he kicks out at two, the crowd's going crazy for him. Um, and then the key, it's always the key moves. There are those key moves, and you know they're the key moves because. The, oppo- the person taking it is really desperately trying to block it. So whenever yeah. Jumbo's going for a powerbomb, whatever state his opponent's in... They are clawing at the back of his stop legs. Stop that, yeah. So he's going for a powerbomb, and then it's like like earlier where Kabashi cut off, Jumbo's cut off, Saruta Sur- cuts off, Misawa's cut off. So he's yeah. going for the powerbomb, Misawa comes in like, no, you don't, and... Jumbo's like, no, you don't. <laughs> and nails him. Nails him, yeah. Uh, and then, then he gets um, the power bomb and again gets a really long two count. And yeah, Kibashi... and that's the moment. That's yeah. the key moment that sort of cements, okay, yeah, he is the weak link, but he's something to worry about in the future because Jumbo's yeah. face is like, how did I not get that? And then he's Jumbo... astounded. Yeah, and then Jumbo goes for his back suplex. Again, like we said, a key move in Japan, but... Kabashi turns out into a cross body and then he goes up for the moonsault so the crowd's wondering is this going to be the big shock upset moment if he hits this it might be over but Fushi comes in and as a little, little shit as you would describe it shit out little shit stops him from being able to do the move and um, Jumbo's able to nail him with a backdrop uh, after all the partners keep trying to come in and stop him. Because you know, it's not just the way, the fact that he intercepts, it's the way he intercepts, just grabbing onto that leg for dear life, just like <laughs> preventing him from getting any like motion. Yeah. It's not so- even like a fair intercept, you know what I mean? It's not like he just hits him. It's like, oh, okay, that, that, just being a proper dick. Yeah. And so Jumbo's able to hit the backdrop suplex on Kabashi, and that's enough for the three counts. And Jumbo's army claims the victory. Um, yeah. It's interesting, but the, the, it ends with the fans chanting for Kabashi. The guy I mean, yeah, they really appreciate it. I, th- I think the fans knew, like, or in their head they believed that if he hit that moonsault then, he might have had it. Mm. Like, they fought the into that. Like, and the sing- significance of getting a pin on Jumbo. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, like, there. That's him, like, rocket-strapped, effectively. Mm. Mm. So, um... That's, that's been our coverage of the actual match itself. So now to the key question, Simon. Would you give this match five stars? Uh, no. It's very, 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 very good. Mm. But I just think there was a little bit where it's just two segments. Like, the segments just didn't quite click with each other, in a sense. Okay. Like, I think the storyline thread's just a little bit lacking. But it's incredibly good. If I know we don't. But it'd be four point something yeah. if if we were to give an exact rate. Yeah, it's an exceptionally good match. I agree with you. I'm not giving it five stars, but that doesn't mean there won't be future matches with this combination that couldn't give us a five star match. It almost there's feels, enough of them. It almost feels like the Flair Steamboat match, the first match. Like there's more of this to come. Mm. Because it and is think... always the case of if it's the older teams beating the younger team, but that young team is going to become a main eventer at some point. They're going to claim. Yeah. And that'll be a big deal. Unless Especially. you're like 
really going full pout like like in a crisis mm. you don't have the young guy win straight away yeah, yeah, yeah which is what they did with the surprise of the masala victory in the previous one that we covered yeah so that has been the first of three matches with this six team six man combination and we'll be back with that one the episode after next but the next episode is going to be another multi-man match but it's going to be in america and it's going to be the second gimmick match of the series it's going to be wcw on the 24th of february 1991 as the four horsemen sanzan anderson but with larry zabisco as a last minute replacement take on the babyface team of sting the steiner brothers and flying brian pillman so we're seeing Ric Flair and Barry Windham for the last time. Ric Flair, I must say. Um, Larry Zabisco. And yes, this man had a five-star match. Sid Vicious. <laughs> and we're also yeah, I know. When, when, when we look at the list and I'm like, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be a bit... Yeah, for those of you keeping... It's going to remind me of that line from... Um, uh, the Oscars when Three Six Mafia unexpectedly won an Oscar for best song, and I think this was about two thousand four, two thousand five, so it doesn't apply anymore. But um, John Stewart, who was hosting at that time, said, "For those of you keeping score, it's Three Six Mafia one, Martin Scorsese zero. What? What? I didn't know this. What did they win it for? Uh, it's hard out here for a pimp." Right. That what Oscar, movie was it? That was for Hustle and Flow, I think. Right. You, know, you okay. win the Oscar for Best Song, like how Eminem won it a couple yeah. of years earlier for Lose Yourself, and Disney won it like every time in the nineties, and Phil Collins won it over South Park. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, so like with that one, it'll be for those of you keeping score at home. It's Sid Vicious one, Daniel Bryan zero. <laughs> so. Let's see if that is at least valid on the Sid Vicious front in the next episode. But until then, if you want to get in touch with you, Simon, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. So known for the number of people in each team in this match. Mm. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Akira. N for Nobuhiku. There's no Nobuhikus there, but let's say Nobuhiku. That's my Twitter handle, that's my Facebook account, that's my Letterboxd account. If you want to give me an email, that's an at gmail.com at the end of it. Why don't you look up that name on Amazon and buy my book, Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan, whilst you're there. We have a show email address of lmtyspod at gmail.com. But until the next time, my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. Once upon a time, this young man. Rough at the edges, but with stars in his eyes.